0: Say someone's picked up this manual and if you're watching this of course you have and thank you for that. Uh, We've received a few comments and a few questions, concerns, thoughts, ideas, stuff like that around making this guide practical and of course it is practical but especially if you're in a state maybe you are burnt out then maybe it would be nice to go over specifically how we can use the Sabres process which comes in about halfway down the manual, it's about three quarters of the way through, to get yourself out of a state of burnout and back to normal again. But in order to do that first of all You'll have to assess yourself on the human function curve so you know it's sort of how badly steeped within a suboptimal physiological state that you really are. So, Stephen Pauline, how could someone use the human function curve in order to assess where they are? What are those metrics that someone could identify within themselves?
1: Well, in terms of uh, deciding where you are on the human function curve, can be quite difficult sometimes and. Peter Nixon and his his team at Charing Cross acknowledge this in so much as very often you get cues from other people before you you, you pick up on it yourself because people tend to not register uh, cognitively where they are on the human function curve. So they believe that... um, they're going about their their daily activities going about their normal lives and to all intents and purposes the the they're adapted and they're functioning pretty well and certainly um in in the early stages of burnout there may not be an awful lot of uh signs or symptoms that tell you that that you're you're heading for burnout so this is this is where it gets difficult because to actually self identify can be a problem. I don't know if you found that Steve as well that people tend yeah, to yeah. It, so the people who yeah, maybe pointed it out it is to this, you this first. is
2: uh, this is the trap that people fall in really is not knowing, and then they find themselves over the top literally yeah. of that curve uh, and beginning to enter into the red phase before they 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 ever knew that they were in the amber phase yeah. yeah. So the prevention bit is is more important, but most people will be coming to this because they're actually in that state mm. and they, they've gone past the point at which they can say, I'm in danger. Mm. Uh, they're already there. Um, but theoretically, once you're, you have been recovered, then the idea, of course, is to avoid ever getting in that state again. And that's why they talk about 60 to 70% of your maximum performance never go beyond that and keep 30 percent in reserve you'll know that you've got in reserve available to you because you'll feel that you've got energy that you can usefully use without exhausting yourself further Um, you'll, you'll also know that if you push yourself too much you will begin to go into that zone whereby any further overloading will exhaust you so that's the ideal state that you need to be in Obviously, you have to maintain your physical health to even have that 30 to 40% of reserve left over. So I'm going to assume then that people are already in burnout and they're already over the top of the curve before we can actually say this is how you prevent it, because without the actual conscious experience of being in the red, yes. you're not going to notice, as Pauline was saying. Yeah, the, it's the, that
1: self-perception, is, is yes, damaged, it's, isn't it? it's, it's
2: that failure yeah, of perception, as they call it mm. at and Cross, uh, of being in that drive state. Now, the usual way of, of uh, people handling the need to up their game in terms of energy output is to do just that, is to overperform, yeah. to uh, overcome an emergency. And that, that's fine if it's just a one-off event and you have time to recover. Most people now live with the foot down on the accelerator, over-revving all the time. And after a while, this becomes the new norm. They think, this is me. And then they start to acquire ideas and associations that suggest to themselves through also suggestion, that not only is this normal, but I can cope with it. And then they don't see what's going wrong for themselves. As Pauline said earlier, um, other people will see it first. But we tend not to listen. We tend to think, I can just do more. And you push and push and push. So the prevention side of it is is for education. But you can only really know that when you've been in a position where you have overdone it and you've had a fright. Because very often it takes a fright before people will pay any attention to their physiology. Mm. And the reason for this, obviously, is that most people live in their psychology. uh, And that's it. They think that's what they are. They forget that they're a body, that they have a physiology but the physiology doesn't forget. So if you, you push it, you will pay. Now, assuming then that you're just simply interested in not getting in that state and you haven't had a fries, then the best metric for, for this, to, to answer your question directly, James, is to assess where your health is at any one time, right? And then say, okay, this is, this is what I'm capable of now. How far could I go and recover without having to try to prove anything to anyone, other people or or myself, what can I cope with? And then you can work out roughly in, in terms of a percentage that you could just produce for your own use and say, well, okay, well, I could push this a bit more, I'd be up to 80%. That's probably comfortable enough if it's brief. If however, you ask yourself the question that I know I've got issues coming how much energy have I got left, then that that becomes a bit more crucial because if you get that wrong, you might well go over the top.
1: Mm.
2: So yeah, you you want that uh, 30 to 40% reserve, so you can just adequately deal with whatever comes. For those uh, young men out there who may have heard about the way the Roman army used to train, for example, they used to train with weapons and armor, double the weight that they would actually use in battle. So the training was more of an effort, if you like, than than the actual experience. That way they had a functional reserve. So to carry that analogy over in daily life, if you find that you have something coming up which is going to particularly stress you, and just think of that and say, well, do I have that trained capacity to deal with what's coming? Or do I need to start to balance things? And this is where we get into Sabres as a preventative approach. Once you're in the Amber phase, If you become aware at that stage that uh, things are difficult, then you you have to decide for yourself whether it's the physiological drive that's gonna push you over, or it's the psychological drive. Mm. If it's the physiological drive, then you must default immediately to the Sabers program as outlined in the manual. So you follow sleep, arousal, breathing, rest effort, and self-esteem in that order, and we'll cover that shortly. If it's psychological, you reverse it, and you start with self-esteem which was the Charing Cross way of, of shorthanding, if you like, the whole of the psychological side of things. Obviously, if you have good self-esteem, then you're generally going to be able to cope psychologically with what's going to happen. Then you have to tackle effort. So this is the reverse. It's called service, the reverse of sabers. You, attack, you, you attach um, your attention to your efforts. How much effort can I reasonably make with this level of self-esteem I've got now? then you you think, well, if I do go into that amount of effort, how much rest will I need? And can I predict how much rest I'm going to need before I I start to burn out? Now, obviously, breathing is further down the the line than it would be from a physiological point of view, because if you're not physiologically stressed, your breathing is probably going to be okay, which means your acid-base balance is going to be okay. so. That comes after effort and the rest needed to sustain that level of effort with the level of self-esteem you've got. After that then is arousal, and we're getting really down into the physiology at this this point. Arousal is the general drive state of you as as an organism. And in technical terms, you could say that's psychoneuroendocrine. In other words, it's your psychology, it's your brain and nervous system, and your hormones, your endocrine system. These are the main factors that that contribute to uh, your arousal state. Although as we've discussed on the podcasts, breathing as it affects your pH is also very important. So that's arousal and then finally sleep. Now with physiological dysregulation and exhaustion, then that's the first thing you tackle. If your self-esteem is fine and everything else is working properly, then sleep is probably going to be the thing that you can compromise on the most because you're not physiologically challenged to that extent. So if you're in the Amber phase because of psychologically driven behaviour and you're just getting overloaded, just apply service. But service can, can flip. If you push yourself too much whilst you're in the Amber phase, even if it's only psychological, it will suddenly become physiological as well. At that point, the equation of the acronym reverses and then it's sleep that you have to deal with first because you're overdoing it. Do you agree on that, one?
1: Yes, I would agree mm. on that. Um- I think, too, with something like sleep, you only have to look at what happens when people are sleep deprived in other circumstances. Mm. Say, for example, the basis of interrogation techniques very often involves sleep deprivation. And depending on the the, the severity and, and the duration of that kind of thing, you can see how easily you can you can break someone just by uh, removing the ability to to sleep and to be rested. So sometimes I think by thinking in an extreme way um, and and seeing that the catastrophic results of that, you can then maybe start to value something like sleep more in your own life and in the context of your own life. Another example might be um, say with young parents who've got a child who never sleeps and uh, you know that they're, they're just permanently exhausted. Yeah. So again, you, you, you can look to exa- extreme examples like that mm. to see just how valuable sleep is. And that's obviously why it's, it's, uh, it's included um, in the recovery programmes, because yeah. it's, you know, it's the bottom draws absolutely essential yeah. to your recovery. Yeah.
2: If you're going into it from a physiological point of view and saying you're, you're on the upslope of the curve, and increased arousal will increase performance, and prevention then from a physiological point of view is uh, more important than psychological because if your chassis is sorted, the psychology will probably begin to look after itself Mm. as far as survival is concerned. It won't stop you being neurotic as such, and we all are to to, to some extent, but it will prevent you going over the top. Uh, sleep is the, is the normal way to, to regulate your physiology. That, that's basically what it's for. Yes. Um, the arousal elements, then, if, you've, if you're following sabers and you're on the, up, the upslope, is then in order to maintain yourself at 60 to 70% uh, of your capacity, you have to make sure that your arousal level doesn't push you beyond that. Because automatically, then, you go over the top of the curve and you're into the amber phase. You no longer have that functional reserve left. So the general drive state of the organism is really important. Mm. Breathing, then, next in Sabres, the habitual elements of that is very important because you can become conditioned, i.e. habituated, through psychosocial pressures and internal intrinsic pressures to push yourself to begin to over-breathe. And you will be aware of the consequences of that from the manual. We'll come back to breathing in a minute, uh, or shortly at any rate, because that's something that needs to be taken out and examined. In its yes. own its own uh, right mm-hmm. so with respect to uh, rest and effort then this is obviously a balance and in effect that will regulate your homeostasis <clears throat> if you balance your effort with adequate rest then that, that, as I say that will definitely support uh, your homeostasis but your arousal levels must be right otherwise you can't do it it means that you're in a drive state that will push you beyond that and going back again before that back to the first test for sleep If you're sleep deprived, your arousal goes up. And then, of course, no amount of attempt at balancing rest and effort will work. Uh, And then your self-esteem, the cognitive elements, if you like, are immediately affected because you realise you can't do it. You cannot. You feel defeated, despair and so on. And that can push you over the edge. But you may be driven by extrinsic factors within your family, your employment or whatever Mm -hmm. to keep going and then you might self-suggest into a belief that you're invincible push yourself over and then yes. that leads to something like a cardiac catastrophe uh, or some other disorder of um, metabolism and homeostasis that could have been ex- uh, avoided so in general terms then that's how you use the human function curve you make sure you stay on on the upslope by applying uh, sabres first of all if you do go over it though and you're quite satisfied by self-analysis and you know, understanding yourself and your own context, that what put you there was just psychology. And as I said earlier, you can reverse sabers into serbas and work backwards. That way you still pick up on the physiology, but your approach is from the psychological angle. If though you have run away with yourself metabolically and your psychology has not been switched on to the task of maintaining your health, then you have to default to the chassis and its maintenance and at that point, it's bottom up,
1: yes.
2: as it describes on that, um, or in the manual on that mm. diagram. We see bottom up and top down. So that's basically the way to use the curve. It's pretty much self-explanatory, but you do have to do it. You, you know, um, there are places that, that that we've delivered this for where they put them up on the wall in offices, and they just go and check themselves and say, "Well, I'm a nurse today, yes. and it, if I do this, I won't be able to complete." this other task tomorrow or next week mm. cut me a bit of slack and my performance will increase that kind of thing and if you get a management system which is um interested in in proper performance and outcome then they will look after the personnel uh, if not they won't and that will contribute to the disaster that could follow
0: yeah, okay. So if someone is um I mean we've probably go through sabers now more yes. in depth. Yes. Now, if someone I mean I'm interested in sleep. Sleep's always something that's really interested me because I never I never liked sleep historically ever. But I'm I'm, I'm curious in your we we all hear the general thing of sleep 8 hours a night, but there will presumably be a difference between someone who's in a normal say maintenance state and someone who's burned out. So from your clinical experience what are the dynamics of somebody's sleep day to day when they're in a normal state? What should they be? You know, time of day, et cetera, if that matters, how many hours, and then what should that be if someone's in a more burnt out state, do you think?
2: Well, I would say that um, you, you need to strip away all the presuppositions about hours and, and that. The, the, you have mentioned, and, you, and quite rightly so, it's not about the amount of sleep in terms of time. It's about quality.
1: Yeah.
2: And you'll know what the quality is by the outcome of the amounts of sleep that you've had or that you or that you need uh, and quality includes depth as well sufficient depth which is why Char and cross they would use um, medicated sleep therapy with people to make sure that they got the adequate level of depth of sleep because when you do sleep properly and it may require medication then your arousal levels will come down uh, you can spend a lot of time in bed apparently trying to sleep or being asleep, but because your arousal level is up, you can't sleep. So you get caught in a negative, well, it's a positive feedback loop, but with a negative um, outcome. Yeah. So that's why they would address the issue of sleep with medication. It need not be for long, but you'll sort other things out with that as well, and that will include the hyperventilation, the breathing, because the respiratory center that's probably reset. To a new abnormal level, compelling you to overbreathe because the, the, a lot of the sleep medication that's used affects directly respiration, you'll find that then it resets and then you're not compelled to overbreathe at
1: rest. Well, that's a very important point, Steve, because at that point, the overbreathing is, is obligatory. Yes. You don't actually have any conscious control over that. So no. you, you do need some form of medication. Mm to to reset you do um you do. yeah you do absolutely yeah. and yeah. in Charing cross i mean they would use diazepam and fennigan yeah. combined they, mm-hmm. they they seem to have a positive effect on one another they don't do. they
2: they do yeah um fennigan benzodiazepine some people have um got obsessed about the suggestion that, that should be used yeah. and this is a lot of negative propaganda the doctors themselves over prescribed it um and ruined it mm. Uh, in some respects. There's also a very well-known internet personality who has had a similar effect on ruining its reputation without mentioning any names. Um, Doctors routinely overprescribe. They overprescribe beta blockade, for example, for for hypertension. Uh, They even use it for anxiety now instead of benzodiazepines, which is a stupid thing to do. Um, So doctors are responsible for a lot of the misuse.
1: And something you can just just mm. interject, Steve, yeah. like, for example, amitriptyline, which apparently yeah. is used to, to assist with yeah. sleep, mm. will tend to only help with transient uh, disorders and breathing. So a- anything that uh, has chronicity to it that's become obligatory, it won't even touch that. No. So for anybody who is maybe taking that or... or some other um, aid to sleep. It might be a good time to review your medication, mm. because you know the, the other things that are, are put, other medications that are put in place are, are not without the side effects no. either. No. In some, in some regards, some of them have worse side effects than say something like diazepam. Oh,
2: easily, yeah. Or, or yeah. another
1: minor tranquilizer.
2: Benzodiazepines, used judiciously, have no unpleasant side effects. Yeah used properly judiciously and under medical supervision you pair that with fennigan which is a sedating antihistamine and they work synergistically very very effectively yes um and something as low as two milligrams of diazepam has a protective effect on the heart anyway and Mm. this has been known in cardiology for decades Mm. but this negative propaganda unfortunately has gone out there and dissipated and uh it, it's it's had its effect
1: yeah there will be resistance um, to you getting it the probably the the if you go to your own gp uh, the
2: will, but unfortunately nothing nothing is as effective as that uh, uh, inducing the right kind of sleep to get um the necessary rest uh bringing down arousal which diazepam does anyway it is an anxiolytic so yes. it brings it down um amitriptyline you do not want to be on that Let's be honest, you know, it's far more of a, a problem than um, benzodiazepine,
1: yeah.
2: a, a, a low and safe yeah. dose.
0: So, yeah, there, there is that. Yeah. But um, well, on the on the sleep front, then, if someone because you mentioned, obviously, the depth of sleep is more important than the length of sleep, yeah. which yeah. Is, intuitively makes a lot of sense. Now, how would somebody know if they have good sleep? Would it, for example, metrics be you wake up and you're not tired? or you don't wake up multiple times during the night. So I imagine there'll be questions around there. So, okay, yes, I've got yes. my eight hours of sleep. I yes. was asleep. How do I know if it was good people sleep? People have to realise it's a dynamic process. Everybody is
2: different. Yes,
1: very and individual.
2: It's individual, yeah. but yeah. The, there is a recommended minimum period that you should undergo this, this this treatment for, which irons out all the variation that you get between people. The challenge across it would be one week, perhaps two um wouldn't need to be more than that And then when we were working with gps and they would prescribe diazepam on our, for example on our recommendation mm. on a reducing scale uh towards the end of the second week then people would start to be reduced on it so they would have a, a half dose reducing down yeah. uh, so eventually it just went we would <coughs> actually use the half-life of diazepam calculated in So as they were coming off, there would still be some left in the system that would be active and therefore there wouldn't be a withdrawal and people would get used to it and they'd get used to not having it, but they'd been retrained to sleep properly whilst we then start to work on them with respect to bringing down the arousal which caused the necessity to be on diazepam in the first place. So there is no set answer, I'm afraid. You just have to say, well, look, here's a a length of time. That length of time will, will average out and remove the variations most probably everyone that needs it will benefit from that period of time so go with it so that that's the best way mm-hmm. otherwise you, you just cannot you just cannot do it you, you know you, you have to have a basic structure and then people have to be open to going through that structure and yeah. trusting it and following it through yeah. now if you can't get diazepam. Uh, but you can get something else then you have to go with that but obviously be very careful about self-medicating and any kind of combination of drugs which could have side effects. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So be careful about that but sleep is really really important. Now bringing down the arousal can come around physiologically because you're sleeping but then there's also the psychological component of bringing it down as well uh, which as I say is very important. if uh, if that can be managed and some of that will be psychosocial because families can be pathogenic you know as Pauline you mentioned the high adrenaline household yeah the high adrenaline
1: household there's a a tendency um in families for whichever member of the family is has the most uh, or the highest levels of arousal for everyone else in that family to be brought up to that level of arousal so um you know it's um It's very difficult if you're caught in that kind of toxic environment and it's hard to know if there's any easy solutions to that, but maybe to some extent type will feature in that too. I mean, you might be an introvert, for example, in a household full of extroverts or vice versa. Um, I mean you were in a family that were largely introverted yeah. and, and you were mildly extroverted Milder,
2: mildly, mildly yeah. so weren't to you yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so it just depends how it, it plays out in any mm. particular situation but it's probably just something to be cognizant of uh, and to be able to say is, is, is this a factor uh, in my in my fatigue and my exhaustion is it is it playing a part in that and and if it is what can I do about it uh, in, in practical terms? For some people, it might just be enough to know that, to yeah. know that then they are not the source of their own arousal, mm. their own yeah. those stress levels. That there are other people who are contributing to that. Mm.
2: If you've got the manual, I'm, we're assuming that you have. Yes. And if you look back uh, towards the back of the of, of the, uh, the document, you'll you'll see some examples from the ward rounds at Charing Cross, the kind of questions that were asked and things that were said. And from that, you'll be able to get a feel for the kind of pathologies which, which fed in. Yes. And most of those people were heart attack victims. Oh. Some of them suffered from chronic exhaustion and fatigue and burnout and other issues. Uh, but most of these people were virtually at point P. They were on the edge of death when this method was applied. Now, if it can pull people back from that, yes. it can pull you back from anything. So that's worth appreciating. This stuff works. So with respect to arousal, then, what you can do about this in your own context is that you do have to apply yourself to understanding your situation and what's feeding into it, uh, and then taking it from there. You know, it, it could be that you, know, you get some support from your family, and it's not your family that are doing it. It could well be your work. Mm -hmm. Uh, or it could be friends Mm -hmm. or it could be just you doing it to yourself which very often is the case that the people are driving themselves too much with all sorts of negative they think positive but they're actually negative beliefs about themselves oh you must bring the arousal down sleep is a vital and important part of that then there is the breathing and breathing is a special case because of the influence at the moment on the internet of various respiratory gurus should we say Mm. This is not new to us obviously the internet is relatively new it's only been around 20 years but that's new for us in that sense because we've, we've been around a lot longer than that and when we were uh, younger and when we were training there were still uh, cultish styles of, of uh, breathing techniques out there and there were others which are less cultish perhaps towards the yoga end of the spectrum and we found a quite disproportionately high number of people who thought they knew how to breathe healthily when they were tested on a capnograph and infrared mass spectrometer, as you can see in the manual uh, they didn't know how to breathe properly or they were simply so exhausted they were beyond the point where their way of breathing without the support of sleep and respiratory sensor resetting Mm. could correct for it and in Mm. effect then their breathing was pathogenic It was going to make them ill. It wasn't going to make them better. So you have to be really, really careful about what method you choose to breathe. Some of the more uh, exotic forms of respiratory training that are out there at the moment and extreme versions If you were to give that to someone who had had a heart attack, you will kill them. Yes. There's no question of that, you will kill them.
1: You could give somebody an epileptic seizure or a a cerebrovascular accident, which is
2: a stroke. These things have been reported. They've been reported. They have been reported. You can find it on the internet. If you have um, a need in you to breathe in that extreme way, then you should just ask yourself, what's the outcome you're looking for? and then decide whether the outcome you're looking for is survival and health over your lifespan, or you're just looking to adapt to a particular form of extreme circumstances that you want to test yourself against. Now, if it's the latter and you're young and you're relatively healthy, great, go for it. If there's anything wrong with you at all physically, don't, because there is no healthy way of breathing. You have to find out what that is for you at any one time. And the best way to do that is to get your body to reset itself, and it will tell you how it wants you to breathe rather than get someone else to tell you. Yeah. Now, all of that said, with respect to uh, rehabilitation at Charing Cross Hospital, then they did use very, very slow, very, very slow, unobtrus- unobtrusive abdominal breathing. And when I was down there um, and when Pauline w- w- was down there, we, we used some oriental methods of breathing, but they weren't extreme. They weren't like some of the yoga breathing techniques. Mm. Again, uh, they were very, very unobtrusive and and you could barely see them. You you might, for example, do three or four breaths a minute if you get into that state. And um, that's extremely slow. But if it's deep enough, deep and slow, not deep, sharp inhalation, which is not a deep breath, uh, far from it. It's, It's just a shallow breath that you use with force. Then, um that will encourage, provided everything else has been sorted, because when you need your sleep and arousal, got right before you can go into <laughs> breathing, uh, that will encourage you to to breathe properly. Um, and that will sustain itself. So be very, very careful about who you allow to influence you over your breathing if you're in an exhausted state. Um, obviously, if you want if you want to be like a Tibetan monk and go up 14,000 uh, feet up on the Tibetan plateau, that's absolutely fine. Um, that's up to you. Um, but if you just simply want to survive and overcome a health issue and stop yourself um, from burning out, don't breathe like that. It won't do you any good at all. Doesn't is it. there
0: a, is there a healthy respiration rate people can use as a general metric? I know it's all about depth as well at the same time, but you know, if someone's yeah. if someone's say breathing 100 times a minute, well, that's a yeah, lot. That's a lot of breaths. Yeah. So is there is there a rough metric people can go, "Oh, that's, that this this really could be awesome. okay?" Because yeah. I also um, there's also with stuff like this because I've been reached out to with a few people with stuff like this before uh, regarding if they're in an exhausted state, they're more suggestible, generally speaking, because That's of the, right. hyperventil- the hy- hyper- yeah. hyperventilation. So it's like, maybe we should have a caveat within this to be, you know, within it to relax at the same time so that people don't use this as a form of... Oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. It, it, it does negatively suggest you to them, which, of course, is not example, the, the, the intention. You can't,
2: for example, breathe three or four times a minute and be anything other than relaxed. But you try and do anything, breathing three or four times a minute that, that requires a burst of energy. And I know that a breathing... Regimens out there that will get you to breath hold and then uh, achieve all sorts of things. Well, yeah that, 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 that I mean even with uh, even Pauline knows that I've never heard of this particular fellow, you know, who I'm talking about uh, And I would do things like that but without hyperventilating there are ways of regulating your breath when you have to um, overcome a physical challenge like in a sense um, where you can use a slow breath cycle to do it, but you have to be you know you have to know what you're doing and you don't have to hyperventilate, but that's perhaps for another time. But yes, if you overbreathe, you become more suggestible. Uh, everybody in the occult and everybody in cults and many, many religions know this. Mm. And I've always known it. Uh, it's also a, an analgesia, hyperventilation. Uh, and I uh, produced a paper, uh, Hyperventilation, states, and Suggestion in the Martial Arts, that was um, at an international conference at manchester metropolitan university in 1998 on the effects of hyperventilation in martial arts and there's one particular form of martial arts. it's a, it's a style of karate okinawan karate uh where they do hyperventilate and they do use a trance state although they're probably on the work consciously that's what they're doing and they get quite a high level of analgesia when they're in that state and they're resistant to being hit, at least in the places where they expect, through drilling, to be hit. Um, And of course, that makes makes people suggestible, like you say. So that's just in terms of athletics and culture, but when you get down to complexes, you create a state-dependent window and an opportunity for a complex to enter in and then seize hold of your mental state and then access your respiration and mm-hmm. compel you to breathe that way in order to feed it rather than what you're intending to do. So there's all sorts of problems and a complex of that kind whilst we're, we're talking psychodynamically uh, can simply be one to say, I'm invincible, I can achieve anything, I, I can have a yeah. hundred jobs, I can push yeah. myself over the limit, I can recover, I can bang you dead, sorry. Which is
1: psychological inflation, really. It is, it?
2: it is. It's yeah. almost as if the overbreathing literally just pumps it you up, pumps people yeah. up and they, they inflate at the same rate that the pump is yes, going. Yes, they do. And it's a really useful metaphor that for, for how these things can access. Charling Cross was great, but what they didn't have was a sophisticated enough psychological model. Yes they used hypnotherapists for example but the ones they 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 used were not particularly well trained they were well-intentioned which is you know laudable but they weren't particularly well trained so they were hooked into behavioral and cognitive behavioral methods of approach which meant they were desiccated or dissociated sorry if you like from physiology immediately they were just overlaying a psychological form of suggestion onto the chassis that was coming up from below that was being looked after by the medics and the medical team that's why it didn't take as effectively in some cases as as it should Uh, when i was down there i tried to remedy that and uh, they allowed me to run the experiment with uh, um, people who had had very very severe heart attacks and were in recovery there Uh, and i used this eastern breathing method uh, that i use plus some believe it or not methods uh, from uh, mesmerism franz anton mesmer's mesmerism yeah that far back you know it's applicable um and it worked because i, w- I was also trained in physiology as well at a mm. level where i could be employed in the nhs so i, I had it at the level that would be uh, considered adequate for a physiotherapist or an occupational therapist and i had the language to be able to communicate with the doctors that was important so i knew where i was going with the psychology and i knew that it had to dovetail with it So this is the value of what we do and what we're trying to do through this manual is to get people to see, as in those pages that describe mind and body being opposite sides of the same coin, that that's how you should approach yourself when you're in this kind of predicament that you're not one or the other, you are a mind and a body that is one thing. So uh, yes, uh, respiration is the key between physiology and psychology like nothing else. So yeah, breathing and breathing training is really important, isn't mm. it?
1: At the at the right time, though.
2: Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Paul. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, again, because like I say, the the um, obligatory mm. hyperventilation—it's something that you at that point you don't have conscious control no. over. So you, the only <clears> way to really restart things and to kickstart your homeostasis is to get your sleep sorted mm. at that point
2: yeah i remember one um say one case it was a few what it, 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 this this happens with say clinical experience you know accumulated clinical experience you'll notice one key case which opens your eyes and suddenly mm. you're seeing more there than when other people and than, than you'd seen before and i'm thinking one chap who was a runner who was uh chronically exhausted but he kept running yes because he felt so good when he was running yes and uh, he was on the catmograph and, and it was an absolute mess and he was a medical referral at the medical center and uh, it suddenly occurred to me uh, because I asked him uh, when he was on the the catnograph to breathe as if he were running Uh, and he did and uh, he reported that he felt better Mm. and I thought well you look you're hyperventilating at rest but you're feeling better and the alarms going off on the machine but you're telling me you feel better Mm. actually you're not better and the feeling is a runner's high if you like that you're inducing in yourself through the hormones that are being kicked off through also suggestion as an arousal level because you're not actually running you're sitting still uh, and then I worked further with him and it turned out that he ran much much more than he should because when he did it normalised his respiration rate he's hyperventilating he at rest and his mind saying I'm breathing like I'm running if I run I'll be normal yes. so he then, he then began to run to match his respiration rate and push himself downhill. So very, very early on in the pathology, he would have been exhausted or anxious and hyperventilated. And then he ran, he ran to run off the stress and he didn't run it off. What he did is he created a pattern of behavior, a state dependent memory learning and behavior system that then compelled him to run and gave him a runner's high. And even when he wasn't running, gave him a runner's high because it supported the complex. Because people have to understand that complexes are like living systems. And I'm not saying that they are therefore little demons that live in you or anything like that. But they are functional units with independence to such a degree that it is as if they fight to survive. And if a complex state is that you are in an overdrive state, it will want you to do that all the time. Because when you do it, it lives Mm. and it has some of your energy. It it moves away from the rest of your economy, of your body and of your mind and your relationships, and it feeds that and it keeps that alive. And to carry the metaphor forward, all living things will fight to survive. So if we create complexes, we can expect them to put up a fight, and they do. And they can put up a physiological fight as well. Mm -hmm. And if we're identified with them, then we think it's us. We don't make that distinction. We don't see that this thing is literally running us into death. You know, it's like, It's like, no, this is me. Sorry, it isn't. This is an intruder. This is a viral infection of a psychological kind, which has got inside you, got inside your self-concept, and is making your self-concept replicate its ideas over and over again. And you think they're yours. Actually, you're killing yourself. And I that turned that, that guy around, and it probably, and I'm not beating my own drum, it probably saved his life to realise and to open his eyes with astonishment at what he'd done to himself mm-hmm. by connecting his mind and his body back up again
1: it, it, it's a very good point that Steve because you, you can see it in um, maybe less extreme situations we've talked about this before and in particular in connection um, to James when he, he said himself when he, he stops mm. Uh, an activity Um, maybe even just you know he's out in the shops and he goes back to his car and he sits down for a bit and and, you know has a full-blown panic attack Uh, there are good physiological reasons for that because obviously when you you stop and you rest uh, muscular activity decreases so you're not producing as much acid but the hyperventilation continues uh and it kind of overshoots your ph regulation and then you get all the symptoms associated with um being in a an alcoholic state so you know even at a you don't have to be a a runner but you can see it very clearly in that case can't you but even just stopping some basic everyday activity can produce that kind of effect so you know, you might then feel you want to get up and move around. That's part of sort of the agitation yes. then that comes with being in that state, because you're trying, you're trying to get your homeostasis back by moving mm. around again and, and getting your muscles to to uh, produce more acids. So, yeah, you can see, yeah. you can see how that see would how work.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I want to say something on the complex thing as well because we recorded a podcast earlier today on typology. <laughs> And uh, we're talking about Big Five and Myers-Briggs and stuff like that. Yeah. This is the reason why I don't like Big Five, because yeah. it trapped me. Because yes. if you look at Big, one of the dimensions of Big Five is industriousness. And I scored 99th percentile on industriousness. And I was like, "Woo!" because yes. why wouldn't we'll you want it. to score 99th percentile on industriousness? There is a value judgment inherent, I don't care what anyone says, yes. built into that, which is if you're more industrious, you're going to make more money, you're going to be yes. more successful, more status, etc. And I was yes. like, oh, that's absolutely brilliant. Mm. I'm not inherently 99th percentile anything. I'm, I I'm, I'm, it was inherently myself, but the industriousness was driven by the complex. Yes. So it was almost right. like this, this, this suggestion which fed, fed back through Big Five and the people who pushed the Big Five online at the same time. And it's like, maybe that's a, a test as well. If someone does the Big Five test, it might be useful. If they come out massively on the side of industriousness and they're pleased with it, then yes. perhaps that's something to, yes. to consider yes. as well. Because it's yes. especially in terms of rest and sleep and everything else, you can't do that. It just doesn't make any physiological sense that you could possibly do that. No,
1: it doesn't, doesn't make any homeostatic sense for sure, does it? And, and I think if you rightly say, James, you then have to look at what kinds of things are, are feeding into that, that complex. You know, is is it to do with um, your family or, or the, the, the culture at large? What kinds of things make you believe that it's better to be that way and to push yourself to that extent? Uh, and then you know if it's harming you you have to try and deconstruct it
2: yeah you can be breathed by complexes uh, but also complexes can type you as well and you know you did a Myers-Briggs sometime we we didn't mention this Mm. but this is one one of my issues about typology is that you can actually type the complex rather than the person you know and then that that complicates things no end
0: that's uh, that, this is why people keep typing me as ENTJ. They're they, uh, when people they, they try and type me all the time, mm. just well, sorry, like 10, 20, 30 times. it's was like, You're an ENTJ, ENTJ, and it's because I am acting as that commando type. And it's like, No, I'm not, but I was facsimile as one, yeah. So, that, yeah, that makes well, sense. Well, it shows
1: a, a lack of understanding of the, the subtleties of it, mm. really.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, it definitely does. It definitely does. It's it definitely very context does.
1: specific, isn't it? Mm. Sometimes
0: yeah it won't be going to the fact that i have te or anything like that but it's like you seem to act similarly to other entjs that i know it's something like that transference. Yeah. yeah it, that, it won't that be who i am transference yeah. immediately
2: because they're referring you to other people and transferring their relationship to other people onto you so immediately you you need to suspect and obviously you would mm. uh, that that is a transference reaction and it's not a clean observation
1: yes a,
2: a clean observation is is, is a different thing and, and, as we were saying in the earlier podcast today, that's absolutely everything, and you need so many other different metrics, if you like, to measure against, so you know what you're actually experiencing. But because people lead with their ego psychology, their ego um, being only what they know about themselves, then whatever's in there is the truth, even if it isn't. And if that involves a transference, they believe it and
0: they blame you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, how about we move on to the next part of sabers, which is the, um, the first R in this thing, which is rest. Mm.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, as I was saying a moment ago, that can be difficult, James, for the reasons that we've, we've just described, where, where there is chronicity. Because to some extent to um, to normalise the hyperventilation, there's a tendency to feel that you need to move around. You might, you know, to, to stop being active can make you feel agitated. Mm-hmm so again sorting sleep out is primary it says, isn't it in it assisting says, yeah. with with the rest side of things yes, as it well says, it says. but also in in um allowing yourself to rest to build in the idea that it is in fact normal to do that um and you might have to resist what other people might want for you as well in in the way that you've just been describing yeah. the, the fact that some people might want you to be an ENTJ for their own reasons
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it gives some more more authority i think yeah. I, I wanted to ask though could, could is rest like a facsimile word for relaxation essentially like always yeah, yeah, like productive relaxation
1: yeah it can, can be can also. yeah they're not necessarily no, the same no. thing are they
0: no no
2: uh you know if your rest is okay because you can then make effort if, if you follow sabers. Yeah. If your rest is inadequate, you still can't make effort. Even though your breathing's been sorted out, your arousal's down, you're sleeping properly, then there's something wrong with how much rest you're getting. Mm. And like Pauline said, uh, people may not allow you to rest and you may have to begin yeah. to assert your human right to recover, yes. which is effectively rest. So, yeah, it's a psychosocial factor and an intrinsic mm. one.
0: Mm. Mm. okay so so freeing yourself from external obligations then
2: you have to and people if they mean you well will allow you to and if they don't if they're malignant you know or they're needy and in the wrong kind of way will insist that you don't rest and if you agree with them you will just put yourself back you'll burn out again you'll be back over that yeah. curve or you become
1: Very, ill on somebody else's behalf don't which, you which, which you've given yes. an example of
2: yes before yes yeah yeah, that can happen. You can you can decide to have someone else's heart attack or, or whatever else it might be because you won't give up on this idea that you don't need rest or that you can't rest because you've got a guilt complex or it's just been conditioned into you however you want to frame it. The outcome is the same. Yeah. So, yeah, rest is, is so important. You know, it's easy just to let it just go over your head and, oh, what's that? You know, oh, yeah, I know it's rest. Yes. No, you don't because if you knew, you wouldn't have gotten this mess. So... Resting skills very very important.
0: Yeah, is that is that tying in with arousal, which is always something that's interested me? Because people, if they say I'm going to rest today, they'll Mm -hmm. put on the TV or something like that, and that can be a very relaxing thing. But if you've got, uh, I know the know the audience fairly well at this point. I Mm -hmm. believe it's like very much strong thinking types, generally speaking. Generally speaking, at least the most vocal people tend tend to be. It's like, is it possible that your rest? Can become malignant in that case if you're constantly, say, browsing YouTube, for example, or you're spending your resting time thinking yeah, about can, things. You can
2: have a habit issue there, and uh, and then I would say that if you have lethargy, and you you think that lethargy is the same as chronic burnout and exhaustion, it's not. But but if you if if you think that you have lethargy, then have a go at service. So you you'd start with self-esteem and say, you know, how is my self-esteem? Do I really feel good about being like this? And then you would then go to um, effort. Am I making any effort? Well, hardly any. Am I resting? Yeah, too much. How's my breathing? Very nice, thank you very much. So I'm not hyperventilating, but I just can't move. I haven't got any energy. What's my arousal like? Energy's flat. What's my sleep like? Too much. And then you're inclining towards depression.
1: Yes, it could be a lack of animation. A
2: lack of animation. So Mm. this is why service is all about psychology. No, so you look at it that way because you may misattribute what you're actually going through yes. as being burnout. It's not. Yes. Perhaps mm. it might well be that you're becoming depressed mm. or uh, habituated into lethargy and then an inability to make effort because you've lost your fitness physically and and you've lost your drive state, your healthy yes. drive state psychologically.
1: Yes. Yeah, you don't have any real focus for your libido. No. no. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Great point. And yeah. I think quite a few people are in that state and in lockdown as we are at the time of making this uh, this video a lot of people are going to be going into negative service if you like yes they're going to lose their self-esteem and then the whole thing's just going to run out and they won't be able to sleep at and the then they end. might
1: feel i might as well just sleep because I might as well just shut yeah. off because yeah. there's nothing to animate yeah. me yeah mm.
2: uh, and then by the time this passes they might find that any effort then, because they're unfit, not just physically but psychologically yeah. with respect to their self-esteem, means that they then push themselves too hard. Yeah. If you think what's likely to happen when these restrictions are over, finally over, there's going to be a huge kickback of energy, a little bit like uh, the, uh, the isotonic sort of pressure that you get with a glacier on top of a landmass. When that glacier goes, the land comes up and we'll get a similar movement like that in individual people and collectively that when this isotonic pressure of the lockdown is removed everyone's going to want to start competing again and asserting themselves and they're going to start burning out
1: yes yeah because the pendulum will just spin the opposite opposite direction won't it the
2: instinct then will be to to be competitive Hmm. the instinct now will be to to be protective primarily and and even any aggressive actions are going to be defensive albeit projected forwards but as soon as that that goes the instinct is going to be to open competition for others to reassert themselves and to gain rank in peer groups and to show that they have significance that's the instinct it'll surface consciously not like that because remember instincts are the most unconscious part of your psyche but they're the most insistent that's the problem we need to be conscious of our instincts if we're not our instincts will push us into exhaustion or lethargy and then you get the compensation that follows from that and it can be problematical.
0: So the the penultimate letter of Sabers then is is effort and presumably this is um, putting in less effort in this particular context?
2: Well yeah if if you're physiologically shot obviously um, Mm -hmm. less effort is necessary until the the letters that precede that E for effort are sorted out Mm -hmm. Um, On the upslope though, where you're you're maintaining health, then that effort will balance itself homeostatically. That's the idea. Uh, And the reserve, remember that we were talking about, 30 to 40%, uh, will allow you to increase your effort without going over the top. But you need to be psychologically aware so you don't go into that amber phase. And really the only way to do that is to anticipate, as we were saying earlier, what the demand might do to you um, that just comes out of the blue or anticipate what your personality might do to push you over there whilst you're unconscious of what's going on Mm -hmm. because people generally don't choose to be in a dangerous physiological state they don't choose it consciously but they're driven to it nevertheless Uh, And as I say a, a set of powerful instincts that you're not properly in relationship to consciously will propel you to overdo things because they're interested primarily in survival. And that may mean that you have to overcompete with other people, but it might well be that there's no one to overcompete with, but you're still in competition mode, you're still driving that. And instincts are happy, and because you're unconscious, you don't know how much damage you're doing to yourself, and you can't suggest to your instincts. There is this other instinct called survival, and we're going to compromise this if we're not careful, you know? we have to be in in communion with ourselves and then the right level of effort that gives you the best outcome will be available to you
0: mm. okay that so seems like a more um a more simple one i i, I guess it makes sense because it, it will decrease in significance as we as you go through sabers because it does seem to be a step-by-step process every subsequent step will rely on the previous one yes. you yes. understand that correctly yes but, yeah yeah. Okay. And so the the final one then, which you mentioned a couple of times before is self-esteem and self-esteem could be a word that potentially because of our current online culture and self-development is probably a word that's people don't like very much. because gives a negative reaction. Like, what the hell do you mean by self-esteem? What yeah. does that mean? So what does it mean in a clinical context? Yeah,
2: in, in, the, in the context of the times then, uh, not, the, not these times, because you mentioned the fact that that is a variable, but in the 1970s, when this was originally put together, self-esteem was an important thing. People needed to, to feel okay about themselves. If you feel okay and comfortable with yourself, then your mental health is likely to be good. So they they class that as being a reasonable idea, if you like to refer to as a metric, that what's your self-esteem like? Do you feel okay about you being you? Are you comfortable with your life? And if the answer is yes, you're likely to be in a state of self-regulation. If your self-esteem's too high, though, you're also likely to cause problems for yourself. And if it's too low, you're gonna cause problems for yourself. So if if we f- try to forget then the, the cultural overlay of today, because it will pass, you know, and there will be other interpretations of that phrase, and there'll be new ones invented as, as time goes by, just look at what it's trying to say. It's trying to say, are you okay with yourself right now? And do you feel that you, you're managing your health? Is your home life all right? Are you going to be pressured by your job and your work and all the rest of it? And will that undo everything else? You know? But they did believe at Charing Cross, and I think this is where the weakness was that if the first letters are sorted out, self-esteem naturally arises because you will feel, as they put it, homeostatically competent enough to deal with the challenges of your environment. Well, that may work. It's certainly good enough for a biomedical approach, yeah. but not necessarily for a psychological one. And yeah. that needed extension, didn't it? That Very model, much was so. the psychological yeah. model. And yeah. That was one of our main contributions to it
0: mm okay well that's um that goes through and covers all of sabers then uh if there's anything else you thought might be important to add to someone who's think they're in a burned out state etc in fact that, that's something i wanted to ask you as well because when we covered sleep there was an emphasis on the medical side of things yeah now what if someone's either doesn't have access to any kind of medication or they don't want to or they don't think that they need to or anything like that how would how would you go through and manage say the sleep stage without any need for medication? Well, cause, cause just would, like, would it be a case of just block out a week yeah, or something like that and just the, sleep? The
2: free options there, and all of them are different, you know. So it, 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 it's which one? I, I think the only I, answer-
0: I, yeah. The, the, the idea was like you know, as, as a general outcome, you know, it's like if, if medication is not in the equation, no matter the reason, how would someone deal with the sleep step?
1: Well, I think if it's chronic, I think they're going to struggle with it. To yeah. be honest with you.
0: Yeah. Okay. To be very so about it. Yeah. So would your professional advice be to everyone who's picked up the manual then be to go and seek out medication?
2: Well, yes. I mean, if anyone's actually been in that state, you'll find probably you can't sleep. Uh, It's it's a chemical bath, a very, very unpleasant internal chemical bath that affects everything. It isn't just simply being a bit tired. It, it, It is an inability to move. It literally is that. And you can't think straight, you know. For example your Myers-Briggs type is out the window immediately because it just isn't there anymore. Uh, your capacity to remember to perform simple cognitive tasks uh, to relate it just isn't there. Um, your blood pressure will be haywire, your breathing obviously is off, uh, you'll have probably irritable bowel issues, your whole body will be aching and tingling and you'll be getting all sorts of, of issues and someone in that state has to have the right amount of sleep; they just have to or they will not survive. you know it's just the way it is if it's really in that state you know uh if you're not that bad but you are overtired and you want to prevent yourself, you still need to to watch your sleep and regulate that, but you could skip it at that point because it's not so chronically bad you know you could you could let that just find its own level by reducing your arousal. Uh, and retraining your breathing but again it's very specific to the individual
1: yeah
2: you, know, you, you can't give a blanket response you know no one can and, and that that's why the Charing Cross method at Charing Cross Hospital when it was there was so effective that everyone was treated as an individual you can have an overarching framework but you then have to process an individual through that as an individual and take everything into account and mm-hmm. in the absence of medical support for an individual they need to take on board what the implications are of say sabers and say well if I was running on this on a patient if you like and you're your own patients at this stage what do I need to do you know you have to be engaged in it they called it making the patients a therapeutic agent in their own recovery so education was very very important yeah
0: yeah okay yeah I wanted to just make sure that you know someone who's picked up the manual for for example who's maybe not in that particular state isn't like Oh, well, I kind of screwed because if sleep, you know, is step number one. And if they're not in a state where, you know, their whole body's tingling and they can't move, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, in, in, term, in terms of people, you know, you're not alone. As as you said, actually, that's a good yeah. way of putting it. If everyone is an individual, then just. Yeah, everyone if, is. In many ways, I guess you, yeah. you use your intuition when it comes to it as well, using the information within yeah. this. Within you remember, Sharon
2: Cross was, was the people who, who'd had heart attacks, and perhaps several of them, and they were they're on death, death's door.
0: Yeah.
2: And he would get these people right and then running marathons. Yeah. That's how well he could train them. You know, to, to balance their homeostasis uh, but not everyone's in that state and when we got into um, primary health care and w- I was using it we'd see people at all sorts of levels of exhaustion and fatigue and complex activity but sabres would be a part a, you know a part of our assessment of everyone but not in isolation you know it, but it would be a part of it because we want to know what their physiological status is because then we will know whether the psychology will take on not. That's hugely important. We want to know what the psychosocial factors are that might deplete them still further. So in that sense, it's part of the weave that we would use, but you can use it yourself, on yourself. And when we deliver this to, for example, third sector people, people who work in the the front line for charities themselves under terrific pressure, and we we deliver it as a continuing professional development course for people like the Red Cross, which we've done, Mm. and many others, then it's all about maintaining health and preventing them from burning out. And they get it. They get the idea of what they need to do to stop themselves becoming like the people they're helping. And it's the same for frontline emergency service responders as well. They need to not become victims themselves, the kind of people they're there to help. And if they begin to burn out or if they're in that phase, they can't do it. So it's giving them the practical tools, which is basically that curve and sabers and then the explanations in there about what to do to make sure that you stay on the right side of that curve and give yourself the necessary skills to keep yourself going that's generally applicable to anyone and it, it can be applicable in an office environment where we've done it as well and we've, we've communicated it in work situations and it's as I said it's equally applicable in a hospital and it's equally applicable in primary health care or in so-called psychotherapy where you have an emphasis which includes psychophysiology because you're concerned about people as a a complete system functioning system so yeah get get involved in your own recovery as it says in the manual
0: yeah okay well um which case probably close up here then i guess okay that's great uh yeah so again thank you to everybody who's purchased the manual thank you for watching this of course and we really hope that it's sincerely useful to you because that's of course the the point of all of these tools so with that thank you steve thank you pauline and best of luck to everyone who's yeah, watching thank you for
2: purchasing the manual and uh, obviously you guys already know who we are and where you can yeah. find us so well, we
1: can return to this if, we, we, to be, we, if there's any sort yes. of like, individual questions yeah. about specific aspects yeah, we, of it that that would be something we, 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 do we, we, well. we can do
2: this yeah we, yeah. we, we, we can we can mm-hmm. develop it further but you know if you want to get really deep into it some of it gets very technical it does but if there's a call for that then i'm sure we yes. can do that we, we, we'd there's be that happy to, to give you the full Hit, yes. if you like on the biochemistry and everything mm. um, and if you need to know more about the psychology in depth and how that would link in we can do that but yes in terms of burnout prevention and recovery everything you actually need in a practical sense is in that manual bearing in mind that as i say people who are on the edge of death following heart attacks were educated in this and used it for their recovery
1: well peter nixon himself had, had a heart attack hadn't yeah he? yeah you had
2: yeah yeah you had indeed yeah you had. which is one reason why it was developed why you
1: completely understood what yeah. was necessary
2: So thanks everyone. Thank you. Thank you.